Listen. Hello, Super Nintendos, and welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat episode 597. I had to double check because it seems like such a high number. I am your host, Seth Macy. I am joined by industry legend, Cat Bailey. Hey, everybody. I'm ready with all of the cat takes today. Beware. <laughs> uh, famous uh, Japanese meme legend, Pear Schneider. I have no cat takes, but maybe I have dog takes. We'll see. Oh, uh, woof, she's woof. leaving. Oh, all right. And of course, <laughs> returning to Nintendo Voice Chat, fan favorite, John Cartwright. That's me. No cat, no dog takes. I might have some otter takes. I'm pretty good with otters. Wow. Uh, yeah. Otters are That's, the best animals. They are. It is. They are. The way they, they, they eat their food on their stomach, it's so relatable. Yeah, <laughs> they hold hands while swimming. Like, they're yeah. adorable. <laughs> Smash it on their them. belly. Yeah, it's so cute. That's how I eat oysters as well. So <laughs> we're here to talk about Nintendo, obviously. That's why we have this show called Nintendo Voice Chat. Specifically, we're going to talk about Nintendo Directs and the lack thereof Nintendo Directs. The last one we had was the Nintendo Indie World Direct, which was in December, which was good, but not necessarily what uh, we were all hoping for. Not trying to disparage the Nindy Direct there. The last actual Direct, September 23rd. That's where we uh, wow. got some Kirby news. That's where they announced the uh, Nintendo Switch Online expansion that nobody had anything to say about. We got the Bayonetta release date. So, as of today, it has been 133 days since we've had a Nintendo Direct, which is, of course, far short of the record drought, which was between September 2019, February 2021, 531 days without a Nintendo Direct. It's impossible to know what was happening between those dates that may have delayed it, but uh, hopefully we don't have to go another 531 days between nintendo directs cat where's our nintendo direct people i'm sure are asking you specifically all the time oh yeah and john or sorry seth i think that yes. it's going to be happening relatively <laughs> soon and here's really why. you may have heard that there's this little game that was released recently it's called pokemon legends arceus Familiar and with it, yes. a lot of nintendo's marketing efforts have been focused on getting that game out getting it promoted and everything mm -hmm. and now it's out and so now it's on to the next thing. It's on to the next beat after earnings and everything so that you can start looking ahead to what's happening in the rest of spring. The next big thing, I believe, will be Kirby. Mm -hmm. So it's an optimal time to do a Nintendo Direct and show off Kirby, talk about what we can look ahead forward to in the months ahead. So I wouldn't be surprised if a Nintendo Direct were happening this month because it's usually around this time when Nintendo decides to kind of kick off the year. So Right. Specifically, it, it'll be sometimes during the taping of this show that they'll make an announcement uh, for a Nintendo That's Direct. That's how it goes, then, right? Yeah. They'll announce a Nintendo Direct. No, I think they'll if they announce a Nintendo Direct, it would be early next week, right? Yeah. Because right. usually the Nintendo Direct is kind of mid to later week. So Yep, right on. Yeah, there's also, you know, there's the, there are two angles to directs and announcements. One is, of course, keep your customers informed and get people to look forward to upcoming games and add them to their pre-order lists and all of that. The other is, you know, the street, the market, to tell uh, investors what they're doing. And that's where they're, that's where they're, they're overdue. 
But their share price is doing so well. They, they, <laughs> Nintendo is not sitting yeah. on hot coals from kind of like a share price perspective. They're, you know, I think they're at a, on February 2nd, yeah, they were at a record high um, for for the year, for the entire Ooh, year. So, so they're doing well. Games. They obviously, they shipped lots of switches. They, you know, they passed some big milestones. So they're doing well there. But... Their competitors are in the news a lot about building for the future and building for service gaming and, and services, subscription services, uh, you know, long-term games that people return to. And so that is putting some pressure on Nintendo from their shareholders to announce something like what is next for Switch. So I feel like, you know, give it give it another 30 days and we'll have the direct. It's got to happen now. Yeah. John, do you have any thoughts to add? I guess going into most years, we don't really have a lineup. Like last year, I think we had mm. Bowser's Fury, and that was pretty much it for that year. And then um, people were sort of wondering what, what else is coming. That has to be more this year. But we're not really in that position right now. We have Splatoon 3 that's coming up, Kirby mm-hmm. and the Forgotten Land. We've got Bayonetta 3, Breath of the Wild 2. There's quite a few upcoming games. Chocobo GP is coming. Uh, so it's not like we're starved for announcements. Um, obviously, they are going to elaborate on those. But I do feel like we know more of 2022's lineup than most years at the start before direct. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, John. Um, and I think, though, that we haven't seen much of Breath of the Wild 2. And <laughs> while I don't think that they'll be showing Breath of the Wild 2 basically at all during the Nintendo Direct, because maybe they're going to hold off until E3 or thereabouts. Yeah. We're pretty... And- we're pretty late on a on a name announcement for Breath of the Wild too, if we you are. think about it, right? Oh, that would well, be, good, that's that's a be a good one. Yeah, it's a spoiler. Yeah, the <laughs> name's a spoiler. That, apparently, wasn't that what they said? If we tell you the name, it'll spoil the game. Like, ah, oh. the Legend of Zelda: Colon Link can fly. Yeah, the Legend <laughs> of Zelda: Colon Link dies at the end. It's oh, like, there you go. Was yeah, Breath of the Wild a, a a spoiler? I don't really think so. Well, no. it's evokes feelings of wilderness and emptiness <laughs> and breathing <laughs> right. and breathing and breathiness I mean, uh, that's, no. they've sort of teased that it's or i don't not, not teased but that was sort of the reason that they gave and i know it's going to be something like silly it's going to be you know the legend of zelda link can fly in this one and they're gonna be like well that's why we didn't want you to know because he can fly a link so, to the I mean, sky a link or, to the there sky. you go <laughs> yes yeah. If it's if it's a if it's something like that where it ties in with Skyward Sword, like some people have, uh, you know, theorized that it would, that would be obviously a spoiler. But like if you look at any of the the past titles, like you know, okay, Skyward Sword evokes something, but like Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, none of that tells you anything about the game. So yeah, I I bet I bet it's not going to be a spoiler. I think yeah. you know, think of Wind Waker, right? It's like we knew that Link had a little little wavy stick before that title. So, yeah. Well, the wind was asleep. Link shows up with his wand, rustles it out of bed. So, mm-hmm. that's what just I like the most in the Nintendo Direct is not necessarily the mega announcements. It's usually the smaller games, the downloadable mm. games that will mm. be like, "Oh, that looks really fun. Oh, that looks right. really pretty. Yeah. Cool." Like. It's a, sort of a nice buffet of gaming experiences that are yeah. coming to the Nintendo Switch. And the directs always generally have a, a nice selection, I think, of ports, new games, ex- mini exclusives, that kind of thing. And that's why like, I'm less down on indie worlds than a lot of people. Oh, I'm not. Hey, uh, don't get me wrong. I was just saying that wasn't the Nintendo Direct that maybe everybody wanted to see. 
as much as I loved a lot of what was shown during the indie direct. No, I'm with you, Kat. I like indie directs. But, no more but Metal see, Slug th- tactics, you cowards. <laughs> yeah, and and announce Pocket Card Jockey too, of course. Oh but um, course. what they what they no longer have is that here is the character for Smash that you've been waiting for. Yeah. Right? like they used to have these really cool reveal moments with the uh, with the CG custom trailers and all of that, and they don't have that right now. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we'll, we'll see. It is it is the beginning of a new year for Switch. We, you know, like you said, we know a lot about the games that are supposed to come out this year, but um, I feel like I feel like something something's incoming soon. Yeah, and one thing I that, feel like we're go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Cat. Oh, one thing that Nintendo is still better at that than say Sony is making their Nintendo Directs feel like an event. Because yes. Sony just did agree. a big state of play for Gran Turismo 7. It was 30 minutes and a lot of people watched. And I think it was just because they're like, well, maybe they'll actually announce something other than just showing Gran Turismo 7. That's all they <laughs> showed. Gran Turismo yeah. 7 for 30 minutes. Forever. Nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful game. If you like cars and realistic car simulations. But I will play it. I uh, Yeah, I will obviously play it as well. Um. I, I think that we're due for a direct, or at least we're due for a large announcement. And you know, our, we're going to be talking about this in a minute. But Nintendo had its earnings call, and they revised their software forecast, You know, which is how many units they expect to sell, from 200 million to 220 million. So they increased mm, wow. their, uh, their forecast by 10%, by 20 million software units. So either they uh, think that Breath of the Wild, I mean, you know, Breath of the Wild is going to be enormous, or the sequel rather, but or they're sitting on something that is going to just like shake us all to bigger to than core. Breath of the Wild too. Bigger than Breath of the Breath. They're, they're going to announce Breath of the Wild 3 and it's coming out. like Back to the Future, but with Breath of the Wild. Yeah. And it makes sense because Link is going back in time. Sorry. What if what if Breath what, what if it's called Breath of the Wild Breath of the Wild 2 TWO and it's a two player co-op game and you play as Link and Zelda in that same Yeah, uh, see, we've we've just, we've talked about me my my feelings for co-op games and I'm against, I'm against yeah. them. I okay. I don't like cooperation. Wait. Anymore. Yeah, well, you don't have friends. It's I mean, it's, it's natural. Exactly right. You would yeah, be yeah. against yeah. a Breath of the Wild two with Zelda, like as co op? Yes. I think that would as be if amazing. it were co op. Yeah. Oh, oh my god! I would love about, that. When my my wife my, when my wife and I played Portal two cooperatively, it almost destroyed our marriage. <laughs> okay. So that, yeah. I can see that. I can yeah. see that. But this would be you could split up. Like you can just you can go over there. And you know you it's don't like have to Yosef talk Fair's to your wife. You'll be out. okay, Seth. Yeah, yeah. I look. I, yeah. I look. we'll yeah. we'll have a discussion about this afterwards. But uh, John, I'm I'm curious if you have any predictions. You know, based on the the numbers, do you think is is Nintendo hiding something? What are, what is Nintendo hiding? <laughs> well, we're sort of at the period where all their Switch launch titles are getting sequels now. So we've got Breath of right. the Wild two, we've got Splatoon three, um, Mario plus Rabbids two. Like it feels like a lot of those first year games are getting their you know their their follow-ups so what i'm saying is the big game is gonna be sushi striker 2 now maybe <laughs> Xenoblade Three could be coming up or something but even that's not like a huge seller like that, yeah. that Xenoblade does around two million so yeah. what is going to give them that huge push um yeah and i guess the biggest game missing from 2017 is the big boy mario right yep. oh yep. wow that There's would be a Marios. huge one yeah. There's either Odyssey or Mario Kart. 
Which do you go mm-hmm. for? I mean, there's been rumors of Mario Kart going around. And people mm-hmm, were saying yeah. earlier about how they, they don't really have their Smash hook anymore in directs. But if they are going to do Mario Kart, and, and the, the big rumor or the big speculation is Nintendo Kart, if they go right. for that, then directs now have that. They can say, hey, like Kirby is joining Mario Kart. Or hey, oh. Greninja is joining Mario Kart. Or um, like Lip from Power Pan is joining Mario Kart. They can just keep going and going and going with that. And that never ends. It's the metaverse. No. More speculation <laughs> I mean, forever. Would we finally get that character from Super Mario Brothers RPG? Gino? Would Gino finally get their dude? Would Wally? Gino finally get his own cart? <laughs> Gino, like, it's, Gino is too old and can no longer be rendered with modern polygon technology. <laughs> so you're not going to get that one. But I thought, you know, what you mentioned about Nintendo taking up their numbers, obviously they're doing really well. Switches yeah. are in better supply than PlayStations for sure. And Sony did yeah, the absolutely. opposite, right? They took down their number and I think they had high aspirations to tell a really positive story about outselling, you know, the PS4 with the PS5. It, it had that momentum and then they ran out of units and chips yeah. and all of that. And uh, Nintendo, while Nintendo could be making more units and, and would want to, uh, you know, they, well, they're sitting pretty right now. They have... I don't mean this disparagingly, disparagingly, but they have last generation tech and they have chipsets that are more readily available. Yeah. And they can crank them out and they're selling switches and they some of us buying multiple switches, right? With the OLED <laughs> coming out. Um it's uh, it's only natural that that people are excited and buying more games too. Yeah. Well, let's just go right into it then, because Nintendo had their earnings report and uh they gave a lot of numbers. And if you're like me, you love earnings reports, but if you're not a weirdo, then you know they can be a little dry. However, there's some interesting stuff in there. First of all, Nintendo Switch has officially outsold the Wii. It's a uh, hundred and uh, what 103.21 million units yes. or something ridiculous like that. It's on pace to uh, surpass the PS4 based on Nintendo's own internal predictions. Nintendo, this is actually for their uh, hardware units. They actually paired, yeah, they brought that back a little bit. They were thinking they're going to move two hundred, or excuse me, twenty four million units this year, which is bananas, twice as many as the the Wii U did it in its lifetime. And they moved that back. They said, "No, uh, you know what? Twenty three million. That's a little bit more realistic." So, yep. yeah. And just so people know where it sits now, right? That means the Switch has now officially moved into the fifth position in the illustrious list of top selling consoles of all time. And so, yeah. you know, I was I was actually working on a on a presentation to to partners on that, but like number 1 is the PS2 with 159 million, you know, very difficult to unseat that one. Number 2 Nintendo DS 154 million, number 3 Game Boy 119, PlayStation 4 which you say you said is is going to be um, you know, eventually overtaken. Yeah, I think it's 114 million. And 117 million on the PS4, and then Switch is at 103, which means it just moved past the PSX, which had 102. So Switch, over 100 million units sold, huge success. Out of that list, it's the only recent console release. So that's a big deal, right? And some of that is Nintendo merging its console and handheld lines, obviously, and us buying multiple units, and that's why Game Boy and Nintendo (laughs) DS are sitting at the top of the list. But... Um, that's pretty amazing. And yeah, there's at this point, unless Nintendo says Switch is now discontinued and here is your Nintendo NES 2, whatever, uh, Switch is going to outsell the PS4 and it's going to move past Game Boy too. 
Yeah. Do you know what's bonkers about that too? Is the Switch price has stayed really steady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there have been there have been price cuts in some regions, but by a very minimal amount. Whereas yeah. PS4, that price fluctuated a lot. It went way lower than its yeah, launch yeah. price. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Switch has gone above that. Like the OLED is now more of a premium product in price than the original Switch was, and that's now like their, I guess, their main focus now. Yeah. And we have the Switch Lite, of course, but that has not taken over or undermined the standard Switch. Whereas like PS2 had the PS2 Slim, which cut mm-hmm. costs and basically became the main unit. Um, but yes, Switch is doing all this without really budging at all. Yeah, the only thing, you know, obviously uh, the light edition provided that lower tier with the Switch family. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting. They don't they don't need to drop the price, obviously. But, no, um, no. Things, things are, are, you know, eventually there will be more PS5s in stock and, you know, Xbox is selling better than expected to. So there might be a little bit more pressure on Nintendo. Yeah, I and, was just going to mention, I think that the uh, the lack of PS5 availability is actually going to help the Switch mm-hmm. in, in the long run, as far as, you know, the imaginary championship that it's it's in it's battling for right now for, for uh, you know, dominance. But, you know, here's, Kat, here's, do you have any thoughts on uh, on some Nintendo I numbers? I do. I have some. Tips. Let's hear them. Uh, John Davison wrote on our website, IGN.com, after mm-hmm. the acquisition of Activision Blizzard, that it is not a console war, it is a content mm-hmm. war. And Nintendo mm. has a lot of content, just straight up. <laughs> yeah, They have an enviable stable of IPs. We were kind of like sitting here and spitballing, like what could possibly push the Nintendo Switch so hard, um, if not just Breath of the Wild 2? And Mario Kart is certainly one, but yep. what about Fire Emblem? Fire Emblem, which was previously a very niche series and then became a meme series, and now, arguably, if they announce a Fire Emblem <laughs> Three Houses two, it'll be a massive deal. It'll be one of the biggest Six games houses. of the year. Six Ooh. houses. I'd I'd be into it, honestly. <laughs> it, so many tea parties. It'll give us the Harry Potter game that we've always wanted, only not toxic. But I, <laughs> I, I. So, like, if you look at Nintendo's just sheer swath of characters, it explains a lot about why Nintendo Switch keeps just propelling along despite not having the best technology. Meanwhile, you flip to the other side, Xbox, where are their characters? Where are their games? Right? Uh, well, there's, so, there's Master Chief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got the That's cars it. from Forza. All the cars from Forza. Oh, boy. Bronco. You know, this is a big too much They're- at Microsoft because I, I own an Xbox Series X. So I yeah. like Game Pass a lot. It's a great service. Yep. But as much as anything, it's all about the characters, right? Yeah. So that's why we're going to be looking ahead. That's why I said from the start that Switch is going, this is the big one. This is the the big final peak year for Nintendo Switch because so many games are coming out this year. So yeah. I, I actually think the, you know, the other thing you talked about, the content war, and obviously there's now a war. The, the, the console war is still being fought between the Xbox and the, the PS5, but the content war is the subscription services and how, uh, you know, how many users these uh, companies can sign up with Microsoft being most vocal about going multi-platform and obviously supporting PC in a bigger way and now Sony following suit. But the other thing is transmedia. So that's taking these game characters and bringing them into the real world. And the Mario movie is going to be big. I think the Mario movie, it cannot cannot fail. It's going to be humongous. And if it wasn't for the pandemic, there would be much more talk about the Universal Studios um, partnership between Nintendo um, uh, and, and bringing its characters to that. So 
all of that, I do think, is providing a nice little boost to Nintendo's stable of characters, and it could be expanded. But, you know, when you talk about Microsoft and characters, obviously, they've got Master Chief, and they've got the Paramount Plus TV show coming, but they also just went shopping, right? And they went shopping, and there there are a lot of characters. Oh, that's and a lot true. Of, there's a lot of franchise power sitting Man in with Gun Activision. Call of Duty. Man mm. with Gun. No, but like uh, Soap. Uh, but there, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of characters that are slumbering in the back catalog, and obviously that's not overlooked. That Blizzard has a really huge stable of characters within its hero shooters and all of that, and you know, a World of Warcraft universe. So, I think that I think Microsoft is building that portfolio, but there's just nothing like Nintendo at this point right. with Mario and Link, and you know, the obviously the whole range of of Pokemon. And let's not forget <laughs> that Pokemon Legends Arceus. It's really killing it. Like early mm, returns yeah. suggest yeah. that it is one of the biggest sellers in the series history, possibly going yeah. all the way back to Pokemon Yellow. If uh, indicators from the UK say anything, and you know, it, admittedly the UK is not always entirely accurate, but mm. everybody's playing it. Everybody's talking about <laughs> it. It's the game of the moment, and. I don't know if it's going to be as big as Animal Crossing, but it's just a reminder that once again, Pokemon is still going. It's still a thing. Right. And that's just one more notch in Nintendo's belt, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yep. Oh, you mentioned Animal Crossing, and that is actually now the single best selling game in Japanese history. 10 million uh, copies of Animal Crossing New Horizons in Japan alone, which is. The original Super Mario Brothers was 6.81 million for the original Super Mario Brothers, which is yep, absolutely that's crazy. Wild. Yeah, and Cal's and just saying that Legends is a huge success. Uh, somehow, it's managed that by uh, competing with a game in its own franchise that launched like a month and a half ago. Right, so brilliant Diamond Shining <laughs> Pearl. I guess you have the actual stats. It's around 13 to 14 million. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. And they've managed that, and they're still pulling off Legends with crazy success, too. Which is it's crazy you can do two IPs in the same franchise so close. It's the And characters. have them break records like that. There's and I'm not okay, Nintendo. by the way, because yeah. Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl knocks Splatoon off the top ten. Oof. Wow. Yeah. But Ring yeah. Fit is doing crazy well, though. Yeah. yeah. It's I, exciting to see. I think that... Nintendo, something that shouldn't be understated is that Nintendo's kind of hit on this formula also. And we in March, we have Kirby of the Wild coming out. And just that's what I'm gonna call it. <laughs> They've yep. hit on this open the world formula. Kirby. Everybody loves open world games. Nintendo has found that's their true. own spin on it that still feels pretty fresh five years yeah. later. Like when I see a kind of a Breath of the Wild-like game like Arceus or Kirby or I guess it's Kirby, Last of Us, whatever. But when I see those games, I don't think, oh, this is so overdone like I do with Assassin's Creed. I think, oh, yay, this game is so beautiful and I can't yeah. wait to yeah, explore yeah. this lovely sandbox and everything. And I think that has currency in this day and age. Like they hit on their own kind of mini subgenre. And that is, I think, shouldn't be discounted in kind of driving the Nintendo Switch over the past few years. Yeah. It's that Nintendo magic. I do mm -hmm. want to point out real quick before we move on, Game Builder Garage is a 1 million seller. Hooray, Game Builder Garage. <laughs> Good it's job, like one point, Game Builder Garage. 1.01 <laughs> million. But I think that is a, is a wonderful piece of software that everybody, every kid who has any interest in making their own game should absolutely play. Uh, I mean, those are remarkable numbers for... You know, something that is that has such a high barrier to entry, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of people don't want to create stuff; they want to consume stuff. Yeah, um, I think that's really cool. 
Yeah, it's 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 awesome. Impressive. I love I yep. love Game Builder Grudge. I wish my kids had any interest in it. Yep. You know what they do have interest in though? It's Pokemon Arceus, which we're going to talk about. However, we're going to do a little continuity break in the middle of this episode, and we're going to talk to Krista Yang and Kit Ellis of the Nintendo Minute about their time at Nintendo and what is next for them both. So please enjoy that now. All right, as promised, we are here with Kit and Krista, and they are going to tell us a thing or two about what it was like to be at Nintendo. Thank you both, by the way, for joining us. Very excited to see you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Absolutely. Wow, it's uh, really the end of an era for all of you. How are you feeling right now? Yeah, after 14 years working at Nintendo, it definitely is like a bit of a moment of reflection, I think. You know, we've been there for so long. It's been such a huge part of our lives. Obviously, Nintendo Minute was just a huge part of uh, our lives as well, being able to connect directly with the community. So now it's just a, a bit of a take a breath and think about maybe what's next since this chapter is closed. And uh, and I've been I'm, I've been excited. You know, I've been enjoying that bit of relaxation and also really excited about what's next. Yeah, I feel the same way. When we both started, it was the Wii and Nintendo DS era. So we've seen everything from that point on. And it's just a lot of games and a lot of gaming history to have kind of been around. And it is really remarkable to reflect on it and think about and great memories um, that we'll keep with us for a long time. Can you talk a little bit about the origin of the Nintendo Minute and some of your favorite memories from over the years? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it started uh, from a moment of sheer narcissism. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so this was 2013. We had just um, established the YouTube channel for Nintendo of America. And we didn't really have a lot going up there. You know, at the, at the time, we had some trailers, we had some commercials. And Krista and I were very um, into the sort of exploding, you know, content creator Thing that was happening on YouTube. And we thought, wow, it'd be really cool if for Nintendo, we had something that was a little bit like that. So that's where the narcissism kicks in. And we said, well, we can do it. <laughs> um, so we started, you know, just making this content and sharing it on the channel. And we were able to grow alongside the channel, which was great because those first episodes were a little shaky. I'll be <laughs> quite honest. Um, but no, it just became, you know, really the ride of our career and, and you know, eight years of incredible um, videos and memories. Yeah, and it's such a such a crazy journey how we from where we started into the minute to where it ended up eight years later. But one thing that I think Kit and I are both really proud of is we really kept the you know that spirit of it being a very like unscripted, casual, conversational way to connect with our community and. Even as Nintendo Minute got like more production resources, and we were able to, um, you know, like figure out how to <laughs> make videos better, I think we still really kept that spirit of it being this like authentic way to connect with our fans um, alive. And so um, we're both really proud of that, and, and hopefully that showed in all the videos that we made uh, for that show. Yeah, it's wild to think about how much things have changed in the past 10 years in terms of content creation. Because when I think back to 2013, YouTube had been around for a while at that point. But the idea of it, but the idea of a content creator, somebody who was putting living primarily on YouTube or podcasts or Twitch, still quite fresh and quite new at the time. I remember it was a similar thing 
in the media. And you were engaging directly with the kind of the Nintendo community. And the Nintendo community is known for being quite passionate. And I'm wondering, what was that like? And how did your evolve your understanding of that kind of evolve over time? Yeah, I think the community is some, something that's very special and different um, than maybe even some other you know, gaming communities. But you're right, <laughs> they, they can be quite passionate and they have lots of different opinions. Um, Kit and I would always uh, not be afraid of reading all of the comments for Nintendo Minute videos, even though some of them were. Uh, maybe not not the best, but um, most of them were actually very, very positive. And we really tried to listen to what the community was like giving back to us and telling us what they wanted to see, what types of content they wanted um, uh, us to create. Um, also being able to like engage directly with them. You know, we had a lot of like comment time videos or uh, videos where they would ask us questions and things like that. And um, just having that ability to build that type of relationship um, was really was really cool, um, and I think that was one of the the really unique things about Nintendo Minute. It was really one of the only ways that like Nintendo as a big corporate brand was able to have this kind of two way, you know, uh, conversation with the fans. And the way that we approached the show was yes, we are Nintendo employees, but we're also fans. So we have that same connection as the people that are watching the show. And that was really something that we, you know, hoped would, would come through, which is, um, you know, showing the fans that there are people who are just like them, who are working at the company, who love games, who are passionate about games and, and you know, really think and, and feel things the same way that they do. I want to know, how did you get uh, Nintendo to go along with it, I guess? I mean, in 2013 on YouTube, you know, just doing a show like this, it doesn't seem like a real sort of Nintendo move uh, around that era. It was a different era. You know, again, we had just started that channel um, and, it, and it was not, you know, a huge priority to, to, you know, get new content or new videos out there. It was just, you know, one of a number of new initiatives that we had. Um, so we just started doing it and, you know, we let a few people know and they said, well, so sounds good. Let us know how it, how it goes. And we just kind of kept going and nobody tapped us on the shoulder and said, Hey, knock it off. <laughs> so we didn't stop eight nice. years later. <laughs> yeah. I, I always joke around that we were like weirdly able to fly under the radar before eight years and 429 episodes. Somehow we never got like caught. <laughs> Nintendo ninjas didn't come for you. No, thank goodness. Those are, those guys are scary. Don't mess with them. Um, but yeah, we were just so lucky that we were able to like, I think the first couple of years we, we did establish sort of this very flexible format for Nintendo minutes. So they, there was definitely value in what types of videos we could you know, put on the show or what types of games we could feature on the show every week. And so from there, we did gain like a level of trust um, from from a lot of the, you know, the people within within the company um, to let us continue doing this. And we were, had so much support also from, you know, our biggest developers. You know, there was like, we had all of them pretty much on Nintendo Minute. And um that was truly like an honor, but it was also like a good indicator that like we, we really were doing something that was worthwhile and that people um, wanted to support and, and that, you know, it really did mean something. So um, that that was a good like, like, like check the box kind of thing. Like, OK, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Which of the developers was the most fun to interview? Can you say? 
Oh, they're all so good. Yeah. I don't want to steal Kit's favorite video story, so I'll let him tell it because I think he probably has the same answer I do. <laughs> there was one that, you know, we, we sometimes pitch wacky ideas, but one of our wacky ideas was for um, the developers of Pokemon. This was for Sword and Shield, and this was Mr. Masuda and Mr. Omori, so the top two developers. I said, well, you know, in this game, there's this kind of mechanic where you can make curry. And what if we went to like a local kitchen and we did a video where we made curry and just hung out? And they said, oh yes, let's do it. <laughs> we were kind of stunned because it was so off the wall. But no, it was just us hanging out and, and making curry and eating curry. And, you know, to their credit, they rolled up their sleeves and they were chopping onions and doing stuff. And it just spoke to, you know, the flexibility of that show. And, you know, it felt like we were able to bring out just, again, the very, you know, conversational nature of those developers. And we still spoke a lot about the game, but we were also eating some delicious curry. So it was a win-win. <laughs> you both joined Nintendo around 2008, 2009, I want to say. It was the Wii era. And can you tell me a little bit about what Nintendo was like back then? Maybe compare it to now. Yeah, I joined um, right at the height of Wii era. So it was like a frenzied, like Nintendo fever everywhere. You know, like this was like the the Wii sports days. So it was like very like mainstream, you know, all of a sudden it was, everyone was talking about Nintendo. So I was really lucky to be able to join the company right at the height of like Nintendo fever, I guess. Um, and it was pretty amazing. Honestly, the company was still, so they had just opened their Redwood, Redwood City offices. So I was sort of like employee one of the, the batch of employee ones of, of that office. So they were still kind of building up that whole uh, marketing branch um, here in, in California. So it was, it had like a little bit of like a startup -y kind of feel in terms of everyone was new. Everyone was um, sort of like we're, we're coming to this new office in this new state for, for the first time. Um, I, I was, uh, I started as, as an assistant and um, it was like literally the time when no one could find a Wii. So I was like fielding a lot of phone calls from people about like, I really need you to get me a Wii. Like I heard crazy stories. People would leave messages on my phone, like crazy stories. Like my son just, you know, he, re he really needs this. Like for Christmas if he if he doesn't get it he doesn't believe in Santa anymore can you please help me like <laughs> no crazy, pressure no like like also like heart-wrenching stories like our family's uh. been through this horrible tragedy like could you please get us a wee so we could like come out of this like you know this dark you know like oh my goodness this is like some crazy stuff but um it was a, a very different time uh from from what it is now and we've been through like a lot of up and downs with um, with Wii and, and then Wii U and now with Switch. So yeah, it's just, it's the ebb and flow of, of the of the gaming industry, really. And I joined in 2009 and, and before joining Nintendo, I worked for Konami when Konami was still making games and um, Bandai <laughs> Namco. So I, I felt like I knew what to expect coming in because those are, you know, it's another Japanese um, gaming company, but it was so different from what I expected. And it was the peak of the Wii. So I thought, well, people are just going to be high-fiving and doing cartwheels um, down the aisles because things are going so great. But everybody was just so focused and nobody was letting their head get too big. Um, and then when we got into the Wii U and Nintendo 3DS days, you know, the script flipped and there were hard times and legitimate mm. real challenges. The same kind of mentality just kept shining through, which was, all right, let's focus on this product. Let's make the best of this. 
you know, let's, let's work with what we've got. And, you know, there was never a sense of panic. So that's really my impression of the whole run is just this very long-term view, the sense of focus and keeping a really even keel. Yeah, a lot of people, when they talk about Nintendo, they say Nintendo is an extremely traditional company. And as people who are kind of in, on the inside, is, does that kind of match your impression of Nintendo? It definitely has its roots in a lot of tradition. You know, Nintendo is a very old company. Um, we were just talking about if you like go to Kyoto and and like be like be just be in that city and see the the culture and the traditions of Kyoto, you sort of understand why Nintendo is the way it is. Um, so there's definitely aspects of it rooted in a lot of tradition. Um, uh, but there's also elements of it that's very innovative. You know, there's there's the spirit of like doing your. I mean, everyone talks about like Nintendo doesn't follow a lot of the trends. It just kind of do its own thing, and it sometimes is really weird. Like, let's make a cardboard box and do something fun. <laughs> like, that's weird. Okay, sure. Um, so it it does have that that other side to it as well, where it's like very untraditional in in terms of the way that the products are being developed and and you know. Like brought up and stuff, so I think it's both. You, yeah, you mentioned Kyoto. I'm curious, what was it like actually going to NCL in Kyoto? Because I think we've seen pictures of the building and everything, and the rumor is that it's you know relatively nondescript. But I think everybody is kind of like, but what's it actually like on the inside? Yeah, that was for me a huge just bucket list moment of, of going into those buildings. And I was fortunate to go a couple times and we actually did a video sort of showing off, you know, some some parts um, of the building. And yeah, I mean, it's it's, you know, not a crazy, you know, it's not Super Nintendo World. It's a place where people <laughs> are actually doing work. So it's an office. Um, you know, I've seen other sort of Japanese offices that sort of fits along the lines there. But um, yeah, you just walk in those doors and you know, like the history of what's happened here or, or what kind of amazing thing might they be working on at the moment. And that just gives you a lot of energy. Yeah, but imagine if it were like Super Nintendo World. That would be pretty fun. Actually. That would be cool too. <laughs> there must be a secret floor that we didn't get access to. That's just like I was going to ask. Carnival. Did they? Did the you guys floor. see the Oompa Loompas when you were there? <laughs> oh yeah, that's on the eighth floor. I don't think I have access. Oh, well, you heard it here first. <laughs> what was your favorite launch? Ooh, there's been so many to choose from, um, but I think for me, my favorite one was uh, Super Mario Odyssey. Um, of course, that was in like that crazy Switch year where we had like the two, you know, a Mario and a Zelda game and of course new hardware and it was just like a year of like just so much cool stuff was happening. It was like one every month was something like amazing happening. So it was just super fun that whole year. But it sort of culminated with um, the Super Mario Odyssey launch, was, which was in uh, October of that year. And um, it's just like, you know, we, we got to do some really cool stuff, like bring Mario on a road trip across the U.S. And, you know, we choreographed a flash mob dance uh, with Jordan Fisher at the launch. Wow. Um, Reggie was there. We had just like the most amazing visuals. Um, and it just really like, I think it really captured like the spirit of that whole year, that celebration of 
Switch launch, all of the great games that are on Switch and the bright future the system had. And um, it was just like the perfect way to like put a cherry on top of that amazing year. I think for me, mine would be Breath of the Wild. Um, I was in a, a sort of interesting role for that game that was kind of like integrating all of the different marketing work that was happening for that game. And it, and it helped me get a good degree of access um, to the folks in Japan and got to work closely with, with some of the developers on a few projects. And that's actually my favorite game ever. So getting to see a little bit more closely the clockwork of how it all ticked um, was really just fantastic. And I continue to be amazed by that game even to this day. So uh, I just have such a degree of appreciation for it. All the pictures that you were posting of your memories on Nintendo, it sounded, it looked like you were having some uh, enjoyable times with Aonuma and company. <laughs> yes, he is probably one of the nicest people ever. And what a, what a great honor to be able to work alongside some of these great developers. But it was always mm. awesome when we were able to do, you know, big projects like that with them. And they would come and we get to do normal things like go out to dinner and like hang out, you know, like it wasn't all just like meetings and, and work. Like we actually like had a chance to like, you know, just hang out with them. And it was just so cool. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, was it the closure of the Redwood City offices that kind of left you feeling like it was time to move on or was it something else? Was it just like, it's time. It's been like 13, 14 years. Yeah, that was definitely the catalyst. Um, you know, we're both from California, uh, from this area. Um, to the company's credit, you know, we were given the chance to to move up to R Redmond and continue working. But it was definitely a starter of giving both of us, I think, a moment of reflection to just think about, you know, what have we done for the last, you know, 13, 14 years and what might we want to do in the future? So, yeah, we decided to move on and start a new chapter. Yeah, and I think we, we were both so lucky. We were able to just, like, accomplish everything we wanted to at Nintendo at that moment. You know, when we were thinking about, um, you know, when that catalyst happened and we were thinking about what's next, it, it, there wasn't anything left on the table that I think we were like, oh, man, I wish, I wish we'd gotten a chance to do that. Should we stay another year just to see if we can make that happen? You know, that was not the case. We were just like, this is it. We, like, did it. We checked all the boxes. Like, we had a great run, and it's time for this chapter to close and for us to move on to something different. And, and yeah, 14 years, 13 years is a really long time to spend in one place. And you can't help but think like, you know, what, what could a, a new different thing, what could that feel like? And I guess my final question is what's next? What, should, what are we looking forward to? Well, um, you know, something that stood out to us as we wound down Nintendo Minute and as we both left the company was just the outpouring um, of love from so many fans who just were sharing so much with us about, you know, what the show meant to them and how they had been consuming it through certain important periods of their life. And, you know, we knew that, that you know, there were certainly people who watched the show, but the degree to which they had a really intense personal emotional connection to it maybe didn't completely ring through until we had that moment. So, you know, it really reinforced that, you know, we want to be creating content together. Um, you know, we're thinking through some options of what that could look like and you know, hopefully we'll have more to share soon. Ooh. I'm excited. More content. And I, I suppose my actual final question is 
for all the kids who want to go work at Nintendo, what what, what do they got to do? What's the secret? How do they get in? Well, first step is to speak to your uncle. <laughs> that uncle. Um, honestly, I just applied. I there was I did not have an in. I, there, no one was. You know, I literally was an entry level straight out of college kid, and I was like, I want to work for. I want to. I want to work at a company that I love and just applied to all the available positions that I thought maybe I was qualified for. Maybe I wasn't <laughs> just, you know, give it a shot. Yeah. Just get in there. It's regular people. That's just like right. All of us who work at Nintendo don't think that it's this impossible thing. Um, but definitely, you know, see what, what matches your skills and, and put your hat in the ring. Well, Kit and Krista, congratulations yeah. on an amazing run with the Nintendo Minute and good luck on what's next. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Much appreciate it. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. Hey, look at that. Yeah, that was a really fun interview. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen and Kit. Too bad oh, they didn't time. tell us they didn't tell us about that new direct coming. What's no, the, they they told monsters. us I can't believe some of the Nintendo secrets that they told us. Yeah. About uh, all the robots at the factory. Yeah, <laughs> Nintendo acquiring Nintendo acquiring Sega. That's just crazy. <laughs> it was it was rumored all along, but okay. okay. We I should prob- come, Seth. We should come clean that while we're recording this, we have no idea what they said in the. Yeah, no, we, you yeah. shut it after this. Okay, no, you're yeah. breaking the magic pair. Mm. I know. Doing a little editing like David Copperfield when he made the mm. Statue of Liberty disappear. It wasn't actually magic, folks. It was just a camera angle. All right, I promised we would talk about Pokemon Legends Arceus, so let's talk about Pokemon Legends Arceus. I have regrettably to say that I have only played about an hour of it and the reason Mm. well there's two reasons one of them is minor one of them is major the minor reason is the music in the uh in the village i said this on twitter it reminds me of the music that gets stuck in your head when you when you're running a fever there's a there's i I don't (laughs) i don't have the vocabulary uh, of music to explain it but there's a it before it starts over again it pauses just a millisecond too long and it makes me uncomfortable but i can live with that the other reason I haven't played it is my son, who Reb predicted would love it, absolutely loves it and has hijacked it and just plays it all the time. And he's probably oh, no. very close to the end right now. So I'm just like, well, so much for that. But I'm interested to hear uh, your your the panel's thoughts on Pokemon Arceus. Cat, please, we want to know. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I started playing it. Um, Full disclosure, I was like completely locked in on finishing Bloodborne uh, over the past weekend, and I finally did. And I felt it's kind of the same. I felt more alive than I ever have in my entire life. <laughs> when I finished Bloodborne, <laughs> and then I moved on to Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is a different, very different flavor. A little bit, I think. And my first thought is, this game looks nice. It does. Um, the environments aren't great, but the characters and the Pokemon themselves look really good. And it's good enough that I've been able to kind of immerse myself a bit into the game. The thing that strikes me is how much more of an emphasis there is on collecting than there is on, say, battling and that kind of thing. Mm. And it really tells me that Nintendo and Game Freak looked at what happened with Pokemon Go. And I wonder if they kind of took a step back and went, maybe we lost the thread a little bit with Pokemon. Maybe Mm. we should go back to how things were back in the days of Pokemon Red and Blue. Maybe it really was about catching them all because that's what 
Pokemon Legends Arceus really puts forward is yeah. going out and catching all of the Pokemon. And they and it's such a they do it in such a fluid and enjoyable way, right? It's fun to just walk around on the overworld. It's very relaxing. And to see the little Pokemon hopping around and going, oh, what's this one going to do? Oh, what's that one going to do? Oh, this one's really aggressive. Oh, God, help, run away, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that it brings the world to life in a lot of ways. But at its core, it is mm -hmm. a, it's a collect-a-thon. And right. it says a lot about the kind of the direction of the Nintendo franchise compared to the, the Pokemon franchise compared to the core games, which have been much more battle forward, especially in recent mm -hmm. years. Yeah. And it's not a collectathon that opens up to become more um, more collecty over time, right? Like it from the very get go, when you look at your you know your Pokemon list, your Pokedex, all of that, you see all the rows of things that you can collect and all the tiers that you have to hit in order to complete things. So from the very get go, it tells you what it's going to be. Um, I'm liking it so far. I, I'm not I, the my issue. I, is that Banjo Kazooie got re-released right before <laughs> I got uh, I got this game? For some reason, I keep going back and playing Banjo instead. But um, I I am enjoying this. I think technically it's not great. I love the style. I love the Japanese setting. I wish it was a little bit less handholdy in that it did what Breath of the Wild truly did and said yeah. play around and explore. But instead, it is very much like do this now, do that until you know it opens up a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's it's really fun. I, I I'm you know right now I'm in the same area where Reb was with it's seven. It's a it's a good game. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we'll see how deep I get into it and how it progresses and how it opens up and whether there's surprises along the way. Um, but I, I see this as a stepping stone towards a new direction for Pokemon where this franchise can sit besides the, the regular one. And yeah, be, be more focused on the kind of open world collect-a-thon that, that it seems to be. Yeah. John, have yeah. you been playing Arceus? I have, yeah. And uh, but you made such a good point with the story, because during the early hours, I just wanted to go and catch Pokemon. But the yes. story just kept going, no, here's more My dialogue. God. And I didn't want to pay attention to any of it. I just wanted to go out into the overworld. And eventually, when I got into the field and started exploring, I just didn't want to push the story forward. I just spent a while collecting everything I could, and I found a shiny within like nice. 20 minutes. Wow. There was a shiny Drifloon just wandering around. Uh, and that felt great. It felt like finding a Korok seed in Zelda, where you, you, you see something that looks sort of mysterious in the distance, you just discover it. And that's mm -hmm. what I wanted for the entire game, just to go and make my own path. And the story feels like it limits that in so many ways. And it's not like it's yeah. bad. Like, the story can be more interesting than a lot of Pokemon games. It's just this formula of being wide open feels like it, it shouldn't be determined by the line linearity of the story. Um, and kind of like Seth, I have lost a lot of my playtime to my partner, uh, and she doesn't usually play Pokemon games that much. She loves the idea of doing it. She loves the idea of starting Pokemon games, but she never finishes them. But this time, uh, it's hooked her, and I think there's something really special here. Um, it seems like it's it's not just uh, focused at children anymore. It, it seems far more broad. Um, yeah. And uh, I reckon that these these two franchises can coexist really well, like mainline Pokemon and the more open, uh, I guess, Legends sub-series. Sub, um, but... It, yeah, it seems to do some really exciting stuff. And I, I want, if they keep doing this, 
I just want them to focus more on the gameplay and less on the interruption of the story. Mm-hmm. So I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do a deep historical poll here. This makes me think of when Ultima Underworld came out and started wow. dramatically outselling <laughs> the original Ultima. Uh-huh. And Richard Garriott, who was the creator of Ultima, apparently was really salty about War Inspector's Ultima Underworld, which was this 3D maze game that inaugurated the immersive sim genre, was surpassing his classical RPG from the 1980s. And now I'm sitting here wondering, what if Pokemon Legends Arceus starts to surpass the core games? What if these games get more popular than your traditional Pokemon generation? I, I could see it. It Honestly. happened with Go. Go yeah. became mm. a phenomenon that none of the the traditional oh, Pokemon games time. can live up to. Yeah, that summer. That's I, really I think interesting. One of the things that I love about uh, this game is the same thing that I loved about Breath of the Wild, but it's just for like people that are like ten years younger than me. Because you know, the first Zelda I played was on the NES, and it was top down, and it was eight bit, and it was lovely. And but I always sort of imagined, you know, looking leafing through the the instruction booklets, and seeing the illustrations. I sort of imagined this big open world. And then we got that in breath of the wild. And I can't obviously speak for anybody, but I have to imagine that there are people who grew up playing those top down eight bit, uh, Pokemon games. And then, you know, this is sort of the realization of their childhood dreams, or at least mm-hmm. close enough. I mean, it's, uh, you can't compare them one-to-one breath of the wild and, and this, because it doesn't have that awful music in breath of the wild. Oh my God. <laughs> well, it is. I've been playing very, on silence, so I haven't really heard it. <laughs> They're very different. Like, I, I feel like Arceus is a little bit more like a freeform Pokemon Snap in that the interactions are very limited, right? Like, you you throw something and you battle and you've got the, the traditional Pokemon elements, but it's not... Breath of the Wild is a, is a sandbox. It's a playground. If I hit this tree, what happens? Oh, it falls. Okay, if I hit the tree and it falls in the water, it does this. Okay, now I can go on the tree in the water. None of that is in this game. And I'm, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that as a negative. It's like, this is a a very different focused experience uh yes it has an open world like breath of the wild but i think that's where things the comparison just ends yeah mm-hmm. real quick before we move oh go ahead cat freeform pokemon snap is a, a really good description of this mm-hmm. game i was actually thinking of that i was thinking about how all i wanted ever was an open world pokemon snap game where i could just walk around take pictures gradually unlock more and more uh potent pokemon um, in this very chill kind of setting. And Legends Arceus, aside from the fact that it has battling, kind of replicates that, I think. Yep. Mm. Well, I was going to ask before we move on to what we've been playing, or excuse me, to the cat take, real quick, what, what everybody's starters are. Oh, I want Rowlet. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, boring here. Rowlet, too. <laughs> I did, too. That's so funny. Oh, wow. Oh, Rowlet? No, all for Ashi? Hmm? Cyndaquil was the most popular, but we all picked Rowlet. But I always picked Cyndaquil before, so... Oh. I picked I, Rowlet because I know that uh, Chimchar is in this one, and so I was like, <laughs> I want to get, I want to get Infernape and Rowlet because Decidueye, great Pokemon. I, yeah. I, 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 I always think of the final evolutions a lot more than I think of the, the little baby version, sure. actually. So I was like, I love Decidueye. That's the one I want. So, wow. no love for Oshawott, which is yeah, sad clown otter. Nah. No, come on. My my son was having he was having a crisis. He's like, "Do I pick uh, uh Rowlet or, or Oshawa?" And he went with Oshawa as, as well. That's his favorite Pokémon from Can't hate Samurai. It's all right. It's all yeah. right. All right. We've been promised uh, an off the cuff cat take and I'm I'm on pins and needles. 
I'm on the edge of my seat. Off the cuff cat take. Let's hear I'm thinking about, okay, so I'm thinking about a story that Nintendo apparently is not pursuing acquisitions in the middle of this acquisition mania, right? And it makes me think of other ways in which Nintendo has not really been following the common trends. And one of them is Nintendo has found a lot of success with the Nintendo Switch and in main game era with, but despite the fact that they haven't actively pursued the live service kind of genre. Mm. Like, so Sony went and purchased Bungie. And yes, Sony is thinking, okay, transmedia stuff. What can we do with Bungie to turn Destiny into a variety of different things? But also they're getting Destiny, the er example of the service game that came out in 2013 at this point, 2014. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, And also you look at Xbox, they launched Halo Infinite, right? So all, and EA has made tons and tons of money off of FIFA. Everybody wants their own live service games. And that is not to say that the Switch is bereft of service games. We've got, well, we've got Fortnite on there um, among others. But Nintendo itself, outside of like, you know, they released a kind of basic update for Animal Crossing, a good expansion, but not your traditional seasonal kind of thing. They could have gone so much further into the microtransactions, into the seasonality of Animal Crossing, and they kind of held off. And you know what? Good. I'm glad. <laughs> Don't do that. I was just, t- I tweeted, I said, I need games to end. I need yeah. games that aren't going to drain my life force like a freaking <laughs> vampire. And that tweet ended up getting like 1,300 likes. It Damn. really resonated with a lot of people. They're like, I need games that are going to end, that aren't just about rote grinding for some kind of object that uh, it's going to be outdated in the next season anyway. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't play those games. If you're really into Call of Duty and it's the way that you relax, cool but i put hundreds upon hundreds of hours into fifa and madden and games like that and at a certain point i'm just glad that i finally sat down and beat bloodborne you know <laughs> yeah i think cat i think it's a it's it's a bit of a generational thing right um i'm i'm someone who plays a, wants to play a variety of games but what happens and i played a lot of destiny um when it when it came out what happens inevitably is that i get busy with something or i travel and i come back and the people i played with have progressed right mm. they've got oh, things the worst they they've they've solved things they've done things that if i say okay let's do it they're like oh that's so boring that's baby stuff we did that a week ago and so <laughs> i I do, you know, I've played Animal Crossing obviously for a long time. I'm playing Forza Horizon for a long time because it has the seasonal setup. But at the same time, it after a while, it does become kind of like that. It makes me nervous. Like I want to play other games that I've sidelined and I feel like these service games are occupying too much of my time. So I hear you. But I, I think that's maybe because we're a little older. And the the They're twenty just a year treadmill. The, They're just the, a treadmill forever. But the Don't twenty like year it. olds, they want to be immersed in a world and live yeah. in it for a and while. You're playing right? with your friends too, yep. right? Yep. So yeah. it becomes it becomes a time thing. The thing that annoys me is that a lot of these games, they're deeply cynical. They exist mm-hmm. for there's no particular end in them except to make more money, to keep people engaged into the ending of time, right? <laughs> And to me, that 
is kind of like antithetical to what I want out of video games, right? I I want to feel like I'm growing. I, if so that makes any sense. That that a hundred percent. I think it's the difference between an American and a British TV show. Mm-hmm. British TV shows sometimes do two seasons. And you're like, that was so good, I want more. But it is so good because you didn't get more. Right. They're, to- they're totally fine doing a season of three episodes. You get three Sherlock's. You don't get 12, right? <laughs> and it used to be that American TV shows were 24 episodes or more. And then they're, you know, look at Walking Dead, where in the end, it kind of outstays its welcome. And like, yeah. I would love it if service games were created with an end in sight, where they said, this is a three-year plan. And after three years, maybe there'll be a sequel or there'll be something different and, you you know, it'll be about aliens and not zombies. I would, I would love that if there well, was more of a cap on it. As I mentioned earlier, that I love earnings reports, and as somebody mm. who used to listen to them for news, I can tell you exactly why. No, it's monthly active users and how they love to tell their stockholders how much money they spend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what that's it comes true. down to. Yep. And EA was describing itself as a portfolio company during their earnings calls, and a lot of that is to do with the fact that they're like. We have FIFA and FIFA is going to keep going forever and people are just going to keep ripping those packs and it's never going to stop. And then we'll yeah. rip packs next year yeah. and the year after. And there are a lot of people who see ripping packs as the game. That's but, what they want. It's like a subgenre of like streamer who just rips packs. Yeah. On When I saw that the first time, like 10 years ago or whatever, I was like, what world do I live in? Oh my God. <laughs> you, Holy yes, cow. the world of, I mean, to be fair, Tabletop has done that, right? Magic the Gathering yeah. and And Pokemon the thing that really annoys that. me is that Garbage these games, these mm. games um, they naturally destroy the curve of progression because they build their games around grinding. And they're like, yeah, you could just grind, you know, or you could spend some money to get this mm-hmm. thing that you want. Look mm-hmm. at Halo Infinite. Their battle pass is ridiculous, right? Yeah. So I'm glad that for the most part, Nintendo has avoided that. They could have totally done that with Pokemon. Yeah. So much so. And the old marshmallow test and everyone's failing it. Wait, make so. make Mario movies with Chris Pratt. Whatever. Right, make so theme cool. parks. Don't don't embrace <laughs> the evil of live service games. Thank you. That's my cat take. Excellent. Thank you, Cat, for the off the cuff cat take. That was a great one. <laughs> Let's talk about what we've been playing. Uh John, I'd like to start with you. What have, what have you been playing? So uh, outside of Pokemon Legends, I've actually not been playing much Nintendo stuff. Is that allowed? Uh, I mean, you can briefly before? mention the non. We have to use the non-Tendo. Uh, okay. Uh, mo- modifier, yeah. Well, uh, I started playing through Horizon Zero Dawn, and I can bring this back to Nintendo because um, when that when that game came out, uh, it came out I think a week before Breath of the Wild, mm. and I played it for a bit. Um, but then Breath of the Wild came along and changed my perception of open worlds, and suddenly. Horizon just felt a bit old, so I just put it down and never touched it again. Uh, but I came back to it five years later, and I think Breath of the Wild has simmered in my mind for a bit that I can come back to those sort of older style of open-world games. And suddenly I am enjoying it. Uh, I think oh, like, nice. the combat, combat carries that game. Uh, it feels great, yeah. uh, especially later on as you get more um, uh, robots you can overtake. But yeah, um, Breath of the Wild really did change my perception of, of open worlds for a long time. And I'm wanting to say to you, Cax, you've just finished Bloodborne. Um, when I finished Bloodborne, every other game just felt empty for a long time. <laughs> and Bloodborne changed how I perceive games. Is that how you're feeling right now? Oh, that might be why I'm having a hard time uh, kind of embracing Pokemon Legends Arceus. Because 
God, I'm going to get on my soapbox with Bloodborne here and be. Have you heard the news about the Souls? Like (laughs) Bloodborne is just this wonderful combination of world building and art design and combat design, and it is so such an intense experience at any Mm. time. It brings me back to the NES days, honestly, because Mm. you have to spend a lot of time. Um, memorizing patterns in the way that you did previously. And if you don't memorize those patterns, they will kill you. You can't just run up and hit them. It's not the kind of the set piece design, the cinematic design where you're going through the quick time events and everything. You have to learn the patterns and the timings for the parries or you will not succeed. And it left me feeling like it was a challenge to overcome it demanded engagement in a way that these live service games that want perpetual engagement (laughs) don't these live service games are often very rote they are there to be just kind of passively taken in Mm -hmm. and bloodborne is much more of an active experience it really demands total engagement to the point of being exhausting and so i was sitting here going this game i i can't do this i'm emotionally exhausted people are like are you gonna play the dlc i'm like i will eventually but i need to like pick up the pieces mentally after finishing this game and now I look at Pokemon Legends Arceus and I'm like, this is nice. This is yeah. relaxing. This is a good chaser after playing Bloodborne. But I am, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, John. It's like other games do feel a little empty to me right now. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. feeling will stay for a while. <laughs> um, I guess like this good. is, I got is Elden kind Ring. of a service game. Um, I, I play Tetris 99 a lot. I guess that's kind Ooh. of Nintendo's mm-hmm. service game. They update every now and then. Yep. They gave it yep. like a Pokemon Legends theme recently. It's all free, though, um, so I guess that's yeah. the big difference. Mm-hmm. But I always stick around for Tetris 99 to get all the themes. I've never missed one. Um, oh, nice. And whenever, whenever I do, I just I get hooked again. Uh, it's, yeah. it's my comfort game, and I, I kind of drop it for a while, but then a new theme comes along, and suddenly I'm hooked again. Mm-hmm. I think I'm around 300 hours into Tetris now. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's amazing. That's incredible. Pear, what have you I been mean, playing? Tetris 99 is great. No, it's super good. Ahead, I'm Chris. playing. I'm playing a game that's. I, th- I think is very under the radar. It's called Eglia. Eglia yes. Rebirth. Mm. Have it's you heard of it? Extremely under the radar. So the little background. They they once used to be a company called Brownie Brown. And Brownie mm. Brown. You know, if you go back in Nintendo history, all the way back to the early 2000s, they made Magical Vacation, Sword of Mana. They made Mother oh. Three for Nintendo. Um, they eventually they worked uh, Super Mario 3D Land. Uh, so a known Nintendo developer, they rebranded to One Up Studio, and then you know kept on working on on uh, Nintendo games. Um, the founder left, so uh, you know, and, and some of the talent left, and so Brownie Brown changed to One Up Studio, and the founder made a new company called Brownies. So he really loves the brownies. I mean, and uh, Eglia... fudgy Egg- and delicious. Eglia Rebirth is basically a newer take on something that they did in 2017. Uh, you know, brownies also made the Doraemon Story of Seasons um, uh, variant that, that, oh, that okay. came out um, two years ago, I think. So Eglia is kind of... It's like an RPG game. It's an adventure game. It's got like board game roots in it. Uh, it's It looks very... It looks very sort of mana-ish, like Secret of Mana. Um, it's a mix between think of a think of a simulation game where you basically you're hatching a world out of eggs and you're expanding your world. You're you're kind of uh, unlocking stuff like 
uh, almost soul blazer like and then when you go into exploration it's actually actually like a board game so you have uh you have like octagons that you can move between you roll the dice and the dice uh roll determines how much damage you cause to things in the way and you attack them so it's this weird kind of turn-based strategy adventure rpg simulation mix it's really charming it's beautifully hand-drawn very competent game it's obviously an old you know these these guys know Nintendo games very well, and it it feels like sixteen bit done on a modern platform. Um, Ooh, I like that. It's good. You know, it's a it's a twenty dollar game. It comes out in uh, I think in a week. Uh, comes out next week. Um, give it a look if you're really into that kind of Japanese RPG style and and you like board games. Yeah, um, it's cool. I'm check I'm that, that one out. And then, uh, as I mentioned, obviously playing Pokemon Legends, um, and then Banjo Kazooie. It's got its uh, its its claws and beak in me again, and I keep on <laughs> just basically beating one level and getting all the Jinjos and all the Jiggies and the hundred uh, all one hundred notes. And it's uh, it 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 holds up. It really does. You know, it it's got some awesome. Um, you know, it, it it's it's aged pretty well, and it's funny, and it sounds great. The music is awesome. Um, it's a really good game to go back with. Uh, back nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've been playing, and our review actually just came out from Cam Shea today. Give it a nine. Uh, Ollie Ollie World is so fun and so charming, and I cannot stop playing it or thinking about it or wishing I were playing it. I love this game so much. One slight problem is, and I don't know if they're going to patch this out because it's like a day one patch. Them the animations like between the characters on the Switch version are uh not in the gameplay itself but during just like the interstitials very bad Mm. very like three frames per second bad and i thought at first it was a stylistic choice but it was so inconsistent and then when i watched um our review of it i saw oh no that's just that's just a problem with the switch gameplay Mm. however runs perfectly i did not have any problems with it and i'm probably going to play this again uh, tonight when when my son is not <laughs> playing Pokemon <laughs> Arceus. So yeah, Ollie Ollie World is wonderful and you should check it out. And it's on like it's on everything. But you know, if you play on the hey, Switch, it's very fun. Hey too. Seth. Yes. What if what if your son got a Switch for his birthday with his own copy of Oh Arceus? no, here's the thing. He has a Switch. He's playing my copy of Pokemon Arceus on oh my, my Switch and he's hijacked it now. Okay. And, yeah. So Monsters. What am I supposed to do? He's buy, he's he's buy him now. Buy you him a, a copy you have of a Arceus. Family cop, you have a family plan for Nintendo Switch Online, right? I but, do have a family plan for Nintendo Switch Online. Upload the save data to the cloud. The cloud, yes. Perhaps have him download that save data onto his own Switch. Yes, that is an incredible idea because you know what? Uh, it's his birthday on Saturday, so happy birthday, son. Here's a game that you've been playing for 40 hours. So, But then he has to log in as you on the second unit. Well, the second one is my old one anyway. Oh, okay. So that works out. Everything's, we'll, we'll get to the Then you need to use a different profile if you, or whatever. You'll figure it out. It's, no, Nintendo makes it really easy to understand. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't worry. Hey, as long as I can figure it out while I'm here and not, you know, 35,000 feet in an airplane over Nebraska. So that's right. That's right. Uh, that's all right. right. We have just enough time for one quick question block. This is from Adam Sadler. Adam asks, how could Super Mario Odyssey 2 top the first one? And that is such an impossible question because I loved Super Mario Odyssey so much. The only thing I could think of that would make it better would be if it were in space. 
<laughs> wink. <laughs> Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. 2022. Uh, I think the thing that could make Super Mario Odyssey 2 better is a is is the ability to transform into multiple shapes more freely throughout the main quest. Like I, it doesn't necessarily have to be an open world game um, like Bowser's Fury, but like it it was really linear in that you took over uh, enemies when you saw them. But like, what if? they became a gateway to more powers and you could use them more freely across the different levels. I think that would make it, I mean, would make it a pain in the butt to develop and obviously play test. But I think from a player perspective, being more deliberate with the transformations could be really awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was one kingdom in Odyssey that was a boss battle and it felt like the biggest missed opportunity. Uh, That's the Ruin Kingdom. It was yeah. so cool. You got this Dark Souls oh, feeling area. Yeah. And you're there for, what, 10 minutes? Yeah, I wanted yeah. to explore that place properly. Just in Odyssey <laughs> 2, all you have to do, make a more fleshed out Ruin Kingdom. Yeah. And it's probably game of the year. <laughs> that was a that was a cool ass battle though. Man. It was. It was. No bad Cat, ideas for brainstorming. Peach's oh. Odyssey. Oh. Right? Yeah, there it is. Peach what? has Tiara. Like they, they set her up with her own Cappy. And nothing happened. Hmm. Well, I guess we'll find out this year when they sell 20 million copies of it. (laughs) The the, the other thing, and it's like, I I hate, uh, you know, I hate to bring it up again because we already talked about Mario Kart integrating more Nintendo characters. But like, if Nintendo wants to leverage its its various brands, have Mario levels be based on their other franchises and you literally have Mario Mario go to an Onet in the Earthbound franchise and, you know, hop by like a city hub in F-Zero with all the cars going around. Like that sort of of crossover would be pretty nuts. That Donk City level where, you know, you're going through the original Donkey Kong um, uh, uh, screen that is like one of my favorite moments in video games like yeah. ever it's just Maybe. so wonderful yeah and Mario could teach the Animal Crossing kids how to jump <laughs> <laughs> I think you're onto something Pear because yeah. Mario Odyssey was a tribute to Mario right yeah. and so when I saw this question my first thought was Okay, well, how can Mario Odyssey be a further tribute to Mario? But maybe the trick is to have it be a, a tribute to all of Nintendo because <sighs> Smash Brothers Ultimate showed that that can be extremely successful mm-hmm. and then Nintendo can just be uh, a nostalgia company forever. Yeah. I'm it's totally cool like with want. that. <laughs> I, you know, we there's so much talk about member berries and like, you know, even like, Book of Boba Fett being too much, like there's too much reverence of too the past. And, you know, you yeah. wrote a good piece about you know, the tattooing problem, but like, I love that stuff, man. Yeah. It's Me Peter too. Pan syndrome. <laughs> well, with that, we are out of time for this week's NBC. So please follow us on the uh, Twitter at NBC Podcast because we have some big things cooking that you'll be able to uh, interact with us on Twitter. Uh, submit your question block questions to the NBC Facebook group. I want to thank John Cartwright for being our guest. John, thank you for coming back. Fan favorite. People love it when you're on. Oh, thank you very much. Come back again sometime. I also want to thank Kate on the ones and twos, Logan behind the scenes. And most of all, I want to thank you for hanging out with us. And remember, NVC is the only place where you can get the, get thing. the thing. <laughs>